grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If your church says one thing to you and the world around you is saying another thing, which do you go along with? Do you go along with the church or the world? If you... If your church and you yourself are Christian, you will go with the church. If the pastor says one thing and your friends and your family are telling you another, which do you accept? Do you accept your pastor or do you accept others who are close to you? Provided your pastor is teaching you from the Bible, you go along with your pastor, regardless of however many friends or family are telling you otherwise. If you find a church that says one thing and your church tells you another, which do you accept? Are they all valid because they're churches? What you do is you accept the one that is teaching what the Bible teaches, which is not necessarily what you are thinking or feeling. You go along with what the scriptures teach, even if it goes along your deeply seated, personally held beliefs, which are often shaped by the experiences of your sinful flesh, and by the sinful world around you. Going along with the truth of Scripture is a hard thing to do. It might seem rather impractical at times to listen to what the Bible says. It might seem that the Scriptures are out of touch for our day and our society. And oftentimes, what the Scriptures teach goes against the desires and notions of our own flesh. The first thing that we need to do is stop following the feelings and emotions that we may have which contradict the scriptures. For our desires and our feelings are to be conformed not with the world, but with the word of Christ, that we be renewed in him. Of course, our sinful nature will fight to gain the upper hand as we are crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires and as Satan is continuing to tempt us. The next thing we must do is stop pretending that there are experts out there who somehow know something that God has not yet figured out. We need to stop pretending that there are experts who have now figured out, after thousands of years, things that God does not teach or contradict what God teaches. Today we have experts who say that boys are not boys and girls are not girls or that marriage can be whatever people want to define it to be. But in the scriptures, we have a clear teaching on these matters and so we reject the wisdom, which is truly folly, of the experts, 
and we listen to the true wisdom that is found in the word of God. Because if God teaches something, and mind you, God is the one who created you, and God is the one who can save you, we then respond to God's wisdom by saying, yes, Lord. For who could possibly counsel God, and who knows more than he does? Another thing we need to do is recognize God is not bluffing us when he threatens with temporal punishment or eternal condemnation. The explanation that is found in to, to, to the Ten Commandments, the conclusion of the Ten Commandments, is something for us to remember. That God threatens to punish all who break these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them that is against the commandments of God. I don't think many people, though, take seriously when God threatens hell for those who live in ongoing unrepentant sin. The church condemns cohabitation and all these alternative sexual lifestyles not to pick on people or to make some people out to be worse than others, but instead because God teaches that those who engage in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Recall the words of scripture. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now this Bible passage is not pronouncing condemnation on those who have committed these sins in the past and have since repented of their sins, nor is it condemning those who might be tempted by these sins but, and, 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 and try not to, to engage in them. But instead, God is teaching us here that all who continue in these without repentance, without that resolve to do better, without any notion to turn from their sin, that they will face eternal death if they do not repent. And this serves as a warning that we do not just assume that those whom we want to be with us in heaven will be going there, but repentance and faith must still be found. So if you have a loved one who is engaging in sin and is doing nothing to stop himself from that sin, and he dies tonight, do not think that God will now suddenly, after thousands of years, change his teaching for your loved one just because that person is your loved one. This is why we must warn those engaging in ongoing unrepentant sin. And this is why we should not take the 10-year, oh, he'll come around approach. Because what if he dies tonight? Or what if Jesus comes back today? As we teach these truths, we also confess joyfully and gladly that God is merciful. That God saw us in our sinful state, unable to reconcile ourselves to him, 
And so he sent Jesus to pay for your sin and for mine. It is a merciful act of God for him to send people in our lives to call us to repentance so that we turn from our sinful lives, so that we know the way of righteousness, so that we, guided by the Holy Spirit, trust in Christ who bore our last, every last sin in his body and went to the cross to shed his innocent blood as the ransom payment for our many sins. It is a merciful work of God when he sends preachers to warn against error and sinful lifestyles. It's not a he is a holier-than-thou type of person just wanting to send everybody to hell. But instead, it is an attempt to serve as God's mouthpiece, to proclaim the way of eternal life, to open the gates of heaven to those who had been captive to their sins. It is because of the mercy of God that I can confess that I will not have to suffer God's wrath for my many sins. It is according to his mercy that I will not be judged to hell. Instead, I will be acquitted and judged righteous. For I plead guilty of my sin, even as my spirit is willing and my flesh is weak. Yet sadly, many forfeit this mercy of God, this grace that we have in Christ Jesus, because they somehow deem it better for themselves to engage in the very sins that they have been warned not to commit. They would rather live in their sin and the folly of their sin then repent and live in the grace of God, of our dear Lord Jesus Christ. This mercy that God has on us is the type of mercy that God had on King Herod when God sent John the Baptist to warn the king. So much for separation of church and state. You see, the king was convict was co coveting and he was being tempted with adultery king herod had a brother named philip philip was married to a woman named herodias and king herod wanted herodias his sister-in-law to be his own wife Herodias is not innocent in this matter. It's not like she's just an innocent bystander who has to volley back and forth. She has something she wants too. She doesn't want to be married to the king's brother. She wants to be married to the king. And so the king, who is used to getting his own way, decides that he's going to marry his sister-in-law. And as a minister sent from God, John the Baptist steps in. And he says to the king of all people, that is not lawful. 
human reason would say that John should have kept to himself, that he has no right to get into the affairs of other people. But God's wisdom is that he sends ministers for this very purpose. Today, as you have heard from the readings and from the hymns, we are reflecting on the ministry of John the Baptist and by extension, the pastoral ministry in general. John the Baptist was sent by God to warn sinners of the wrath to come. He was sent by God to call sinners to repentance. He was sent by God to baptize sinners into Christ, to prepare them to meet the very Messiah. And this is what pastors continue to do today. It is tempting, though, to think of pastors as merely motivational speakers who will make a person feel uplifted and that we can take his message if it resonates with us or we could leave it if it doesn't. But the task of a pastor is much greater than delivering a feeling. For the office of the ministry was established by our Lord Jesus Christ so that pastors would serve as God's instruments to proclaim the very word of God to warn, to rebuke, to correct through the law, and to apply the salve of the gospel, the comfort that we have in knowing that our sins are taken away through our Lord Jesus Christ. Both King Herod and Philip's wife Herodias wanted it one way, but God's servant said, no, it is not to be this way. They thought of John the Baptist as the killjoy, the bad guy. Instead of recognizing John as the very voice of God, they made him out to be their enemy. Even though John was motivated by love as he spoke the truth, they certainly would have taken him as a hateful man who would not let them do what they thought was the best thing for their own personal lives. By refusing to listen to the very counsel of John, these two refused to listen to scripture, and they refused to listen to God himself. Instead of humbling themselves to God and his word, they figured that they do not need to listen to another. King Herod figured that he's in charge of his own life, and since as the king he's used to setting the rules, he thought the best thing to do is to get rid of the messenger, this man who would not let him have his way. And so John the Baptist was thrown into prison for speaking the truth. John could have calculated the cost. John could have reasoned, well, I know that the king won't like what I will say, so I'm not going to say anything. John could have figured, well, this is going to put my life on the line if I tell the king the truth, and since I love my life more, I'm going to protect my life and avoid the king. But John would not do such things, for John was not a reed shaking in the wind. John was not a man who could only find himself 
being a softy, but instead John was a faithful man whom God had put it into his mouth to speak the truth. And it landed John in prison. He was eventually beheaded for it. It wasn't until then that the king had some remorse. He was sorry, actually. He didn't mind throwing a prophet sent from God into prison. But, as you heard from Jesus, John was more than a prophet. But this is the one who was prophesied to prepare the way for the Messiah. The only prophet prophesied to come. The prophet to prepare for people to meet Christ. The king was sorry for John's beheading. If you're reading the readings from Matthew, if you're reading Matthew during the, during the season of Advent and current, you would have read that account yesterday in Matthew 14. But Herod's new wife, Herodias, was not sorry. She's, in fact, the one who ordered his beheading. She got her way. Had King Herod listened to the word of God, he would not have brought the shame and pain upon himself or upon others. And that is often how it goes. Look at the countless heartaches that would be prevented if people saved themselves until marriage. Look at how much better our world would be if people entered into marriage reverently, deliberately, and with the blessing of God. What children need in this very fallen and sin-corrupted world is a stable home with the child's father and mother who remain faithful and committed to each other within the bonds of holy matrimony. The hookup culture so commonly promoted today, the high rates of cohabitation along with the blind eye often given by churches today, and no-fault divorce have all eroded the safeguards that have traditionally been in place to not only protect children, but also women, keeping them safe within the bonds of a family blessed by God. In the same way, God wants to keep us safe in this life through the bonds of a church family. He wants to keep us safe in the ark of his church as we wade these muddy waters of the fallen world. God has graciously ordered his church to focus on sin and forgiveness, his word and the savior of the nations, on the grace of God and the peace and mercy which he gives. For God wants us, who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, to be reconciled to him, to be forgiven, and to be with him in paradise. He wants us to be recipients of his grace. He wants us, sinners though we are, to be comforted with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we will know our true standing before God 
that as repentant Christians desiring to hear the word of Christ and abide in him, that we stand before him righteous, acquitted, forgiven, sins taken away. And that's why men in the likes of John the Baptist are raised up by God to shepherd Christ's people. God called sinners to repentance and he baptized them into Christ. He taught the truth even, or John called sinners to repentance as he baptized them into Christ. He taught the truth even when that truth was deemed unpopular. And the times are ripe in our day to demand only preachers who will be as faithful as John. Instead of having yes men who will only tell us what we want to hear and who will pander to the sinful desires of the society around us, we need those who will tell us what we need to hear so that we will avoid the path to eternal perdition. John was faithful, even in prison. His disciples were filled with sorrow as they came to see the very man whom they had heard preach the gospel to them, who had called them out of darkness and brought to them the knowledge of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. And so they were saddened, seeing this man sent from God wrongly incarcerated. And in their sadness, they would go and see him. But John refused to let them focus on himself. Instead, he sent them to Jesus to ask a question. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? I do not believe that John was in doubt, although everybody does have their doubts from time to time. We know that John was filled with the Holy Spirit, that even before he was born at the voice of Mary, he leapt in his mother's womb. John rightly testified as Jesus began his ministry, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew that this man who has come is the coming one. And so he, desiring to do what a true man of God does, wanted to direct these people who had come to grieve with him back to their savior, Jesus. That they would, so that they could fix their eyes on their savior. Faithful preachers will not focus on themselves. Instead, they will faithfully preach the scriptures, pointing you to, to your Messiah, to Christ Jesus who has come, to bear your sins in his body, and to reconcile you to your Father in heaven. Pastors are, after all, as we heard in our epistle, bondservants of Christ. They are stewards of the mysteries of God, and it is required of them that they be found faithful to God in their service to God's people. And so may God, as you hear this word of Christ, as you are exhorted to follow him and not the ways of the world, as you hear of this forgiveness and mercy that you have in Jesus, God grant you joy and peace in believing so that you obtain life everlasting. Amen.
The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.